there, this is Tracy Malone. Are you in a toxic relationship and you find yourself asking, why can't I just leave? Then I've got the person that's going to help you with that dilemma. There's so many reasons why we can't leave. And yet we're still stuck. Today, my guest is Kristen Milstead. She is the founder of Fairytale Shadows, which is one of my favorite blogs. And I found her early in my recovery and she's an amazing author. So she is an author and a researcher and an activist helping victims of narcissistic abuse and toxic relationships. And her new book is called, Why Can't I Just Leave? It is a great book. And I can't wait for you to hear what she's got to say for us today. There's so many pieces in this book that I wish we could have talked for two hours. But today we're going to talk about why can't I just leave? And I strongly suggest that you go and check out her book. And you're going to find the reason why and how to leave at the same time. So without any further ado, let's welcome Kristen. Hi, Kristen. Thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited about your new book. Which, and thanks for having me. Why Can't I Just Leave? The Guide to Waking Up and Walking Out of a Pathological Love Relationship. When I first found you, it was due to your blog, which I love, Fairy Tale Shadows. You're an amazing writer. And so um, I was thinking about that this morning as we were, I was prepping for this and like the fairy tale shadows, how did you name it that? Because I was like, I thought I was in the fairy tale and it wasn't. So I'm like, is that how she came around to this? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question because it's very similar to what you described is it, there's almost like a fairy tale quality to these relationships based on, you know, my own experience, but also just talking to a variety of people and in the, you know, the research I did, it's, it's fantastical. It's, it's, I mean, if it's too good to be true, you know, but it's also, it feels really good to be in it. And at some point it's like the exact opposite happens. Something happens to sort of pull you out of that fairy tale. And then there's sort of a nightmare scenario that takes place. And, you know, we may go back and forth between them, but, um, the blog was written for people who have already sort of um, been through the fairy tale and now they're kind of dropping down into the nightmare and they might go back and forth. And that's where I was when I started it. Um, so it was fairy tale shadows that kind of highlight the elements of both parts of the relationship. Yeah. In my new book, I've got it written, when did my life go from a Hallmark movie to a Lifetime movie, which is pretty much the dark side of the, the you know, the love kind of channels there. But again, they exactly. go into the darkness. So in the book, you, you talk about um, the, the differences between narcissistic abuse, as well as pathological love relationships. Can you explain for the listeners what the difference is between the two? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the way most of us come to understand this thing that's taking place in the relationships that's harming us is through the term narcissistic abuse. It's that's, you know, when we're searching, when we see it on blogs, usually that's the terminology that's used. So I like to think of narcissistic abuse as a label that is applied to a wide variety of behaviors, effects, uh, things that happen in the relationship. And it can be a little bit nebulous sometimes, but 
all of us who've been through it, we know what that means. We know what it is. But in trying to describe it, sometimes it can um, feel really difficult to try to explain it to other people. But whatever that thing is, um, it's it it is taking place within something called a pathological love relationship. And so I like and used the term pathological love relationship because it takes into account the social dynamic, the relationship itself. So rather than having a nebulous term, I don't know, you know, sometimes you'll see it defined as the effects on someone, sometimes as the tactics, sometimes as qualities of the abuser. The term pathological love relationship embodies all of that because it takes into account, um, you know, for example, the abuser does something that has an effect on the the survivor and the survivor then reacts to it, which in turn can produce a different or more intense reaction from the abuser. And by by talking about it as a relationship, I, I feel like it's a fuller way to get the dynamic. Um, Sandra L. Brown characterizes a pathological love relationship as one in which a pathological partner inflicts inevitable harm on the on their own partner on the survivor and the um, the harm is inevitable because of the qualities of the abuser the, the abuser's unable to see how their behavior affects other people they're unable to change they're unwilling to change and so these qualities of the pathological partner create um, the situation where a pathological love relationship starts to take place and then by that within that definition of pathological love relationship, you can start to take it apart and examine it in different pieces. Wow, that's an amazing and it makes so much sense. Um, just to hear it that way. I, I'm so excited to hear. Um, why is it so important that we differentiate between narcissistic abuse and this? I I think that it's not it's it's important in the sense that sometimes um, within a pathological love relationship, you might not necessarily have someone who has narcissistic personality disorder. The pathological partner may also um, have psychopathy or um, antisocial personality disorder, or they may just have some traits of some of these. They don't need to have a full-blown diagnosis or you know, the full-blown uh, qualities, the criteria in order to inflict harm. So the idea is just that if you think about it in terms of there is an abuser that's doing particular things that lead back to the idea of someone who has a um, has is a low conscience um, orientation toward others, that's going to lead them to behave in certain ways, and it's less important, you know, what they you know what they are, if they're narcissist, what type of narcissist, etc. Exactly. I always tell people I don't care what we call them. If these are the behaviors that they're doing, that's not okay. So this kind of like envelopes it all. Because yeah. again, some people are like, oh, none of these things sound like the person, but you know, it's it they don't check all the boxes. So this is saying, you know, regardless of what we call them, this is the dynamic of the relationship, which is an important like thing to understand. Yes, exactly. That's exactly the point of uh, why I like using that term. Yeah. You got the point. Yay. <laughs> I started reading it this weekend and I love this book. I cannot tell anybody. Um, and, and I'll put a link down below for you, but um, 
her writing is so beautiful and so eloquent, even when you are hooked in that first part where you're telling your story as a survivor and, and sort of the illusion coming apart and, and everything that you found out. And we've talked before, we know this is pretty typical of, of what victims feel and what they go through. But you also said in the book that there's 60 million people who have experienced this kind of relationship. It sounds like an epidemic to me. How come there's not more awareness about this? Oh, that's a that's a really good question um, in terms of uh, why there's not more awareness. That statistic comes from, um, I didn't gather it. There, there's, uh, you know, just, I got that from somewhere else uh, in the, and that's talked about in the book. But the way that it was derived was um, looking at the estimated percentage of people who have one of these low conscience disorders in the population and then figuring out how many people that would actually be, uh, you know, low estimates, high estimates, and then taking on average, how many partners will each person have over the course of their lifetime? And that results in a, t- a, a lot of people, six, uh, in, according to the statistic in this analysis, about 60 million people having some sort of damaging uh, impact on them because of who their partner was at a particular time, a pathological partner. Now, I think when we talk about why is it so prevalent and why there's not more awareness, I think really those two things are, are related to one another, which kind of sounds contradictory. But I think when we can look at the types of tactics that the abusers use, those tactics are designed to um, hide the abuse from the abuser and everyone else. And that's part of what's abusive about it is it's this form of exploitation that keeps sort of the the survivor submerged uh, under the true knowledge of what's actually going on. And so if, if survivors have difficulty spotting it and they're experiencing it, it's very difficult to explain to people outside the situation what's taking place. When you look at individual incidents, somebody making a comment, somebody, you know, giving a silent treatment, somebody, somebody's cheating or, you know, individually they sound like it's, well, they're not, they're not good. They're not something you want to experience. But when we talk about the harms on people, it leaves people wondering why, how could that possibly be so harmful? And then, um, so I think that we have a tendency to think that if, um, when something happens to us, it's happening because, you know, something negative happens to us, it's happening because of situational factors. Oh, I was at a vulnerable place in my life. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then when, um, when it happens to other people, we have more of a tendency to, Um, characterize it as being from who they are as a person. Uh, If they hadn't had, um, this hadn't happened to them before, it wouldn't have led them to be in this situation or, you know, there's, you know, whatever qualities about them make that um, more, uh, make that the reason why it happened. And it's not that both of those things can't be true. It's just that we have, we don't like to think about the fact that if it's happening, if something negative like that is happening to someone else, so that could happen to me too. And so um, there's sort of those two things working together. It's hard to explain to people what it is combined with our natural tendency to, to sort of 
want to think that, um, you know, people who are in these situations may be weak-minded or just don't have a lot of uh, experience in, in the relationships or, you know, they've been through something like this in the past and so it's familiar, you know, all of these things that keep us from thinking to ourselves, um, well, I better, I better learn more about this because it might happen to me. It's so true. And again, with that many people out there having this type of experience, it's absolutely essential that even people who aren't experiencing it understand it so that they can help their friend or their sister or, or their brother or whoever it is, because again, it's at epidemic proportions and it's it seems to be you know fueling up and maybe it's the education, maybe it's just the time where we are you know, vocalizing, we're speaking, there's a lot more books out there than there were 10 years ago. And so people are coming forward with their own stories and with all of the knowledge that is going to help us. I love at the beginning of your book that you have a checklist. And I'd love to read a couple of those if that's okay. And then you can kind of come back and, you know, just sort of go, yep, those are all the things. But again, we've looked at red flag checklists of narcissistic abuse, and these are very much overlapping. So um, the first one is your intuition tells you that something's off and that things um, about your partner aren't quite right or that you just don't know them. Um, you know, you catch your partner lying. I'm, I'm paraphrasing these. Um, your partner frequently accuses you of cheating without any cause. And, and that freaks people out all the time. It's like um, somebody is, is going to be like accusing you of cheating. And you're like, but that's what they're doing. I didn't do that, right? Um, mm -hmm. their, their actions rarely match. You find yourself isolated from your friends and family. Um, you know, they pressure you to be in constant contact with them. Yes times, which at first it bonds you to them where you're just like, oh my God, they need me so much. Oh my God. We're like texting 40 times a day. It's overwhelming. And it's unbelievable. Like how could someone love me that much? But it's pathological. It's not normal. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, they flirt in front of you. They, they, you feel like you're losing yourself. There's 75 things in here, guys. This is the best part of the book. I was, I mean, I, I haven't read the whole book yet, honestly, but like I saw that part in the preview and I was like, this is going to help so many people. So what can you tell us more about this list that I'm missing besides the actual bing, bing, bingers? <laughs> no, I, I thank you for bringing that up. I think the checklist is so important because we're often doubting ourselves while this is happening, that something is happening to us, that something um, something bad is happening to us, even though many of these things will may be taking place. And uh, by having it externally listed like that, uh, my hope is that as people are reading them and they are able to see some number of them in their life and how that's represented in their lives, that that can lead them further to a um, the awareness that this is uh, something that um, other people have experienced and it's negative and here's what we call it, here's what we do about it, and just starting to sink down into that mentality of uh, understanding what's happening to them. I think that um, one of the things about the checklist that's also important to note is that it's not that there's a certain number 
of the items that there's a threshold at which, oh, I've got that many. And so therefore this, I'm in this type of relationship. It's, it's not that simple. It's not that cut and dried. Um, only you, only survivors would know which ones of those were really important, you know, which ones had such an impact that um, they, you know, I've, I can't get it out of my mind, or, you know, I, I'm having a really hard time uh, admitting or understanding it, or um, just even hold, holding on to the idea that actually happened. It's been confusing. So in other words, sometimes the quality of something the um, that happened or how much it's impacted you personally can take more precedence over how many items you check on a checklist. So that's something that each reader would have to evaluate for themselves and say, wow, Leanna, these particular ones were really happened to me and these were important. Um, and also the other thing, one last thing is that, um, you know, some of those things in and of themselves might not be pathological. So, you know, when it talks about some sort of effect on, on, uh, on the reader, so I'm feeling like this, or, you know, I'm, you know, this thing happened and it caused me to do this. It, it's, not re it's not inductive in that every single time we might feel something or experience something that it leads back to this. So there might be other reasons. It's, it's, it's more, um, not necessarily thinking that that um, just because you're experiencing these things that it does mean uh, that it, that it does mean that you are in one of those relationships. So that's kind of the flip side. I'm so glad that you said that because so many people come to me and they're just like, you know, I've looked at red flag checklists and and they don't have them all. So you know, they almost like invalidate themselves because they're like well there were a few but not all of them and so like the fact that you're saying there's no threshold it's not check 10 and you win the prize you're in a toxic yeah. relationship right it yeah it, it varies and that's the whole thing about any kind of abuse it's, it's on a spectrum you know some i'll call them narcissists will lie all the time yeah will cheat all the time while others never cheat but they do their passive aggressive things and they, they, they work it in a different way. So comparing ourselves to others going, oh, I didn't have that. So mine's not as important. It is about a personal experience that you need to understand that that's not okay. If someone is doing this and there's no reason for them to be accusing you of say cheating, um, you know, it, that's just ebbing and, and taking away your power. It's taking mm -hmm. away the person that you think you are, because now how could this person that loves me believe this falsity about me? Why are they saying it? It's confusing. Yes. So when we're stuck in these relationships, how do we leave? It says, why can't I leave? Why can't they leave? Yeah, that was the question that haunted me. Um, throughout my own recovery. And I read a lot of different articles, books, um, you know, watched a lot of things that really helped move me forward in my recovery. But I was still left with this lingering question, okay, but why couldn't I leave? It, it, there was some quality or element to, to me at that time, to the relationship that I just couldn't understand and put my finger on. So it kind of stuck with me and I started, you know, looking around for other explanations. And um, when I was preparing to um, write this book, it actually started out being a different book uh, than the direction that I, that I 
it, from the direction that I ended up taking it. But I um, gave a survey to some of the readers of my website and um, it ended up being that about 600 people responded. And I started to see that they were having these same, the, 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 the survey respondents were having the exact same question and at similar points in the relationship. And I just found it so fascinating that, you know, we talk about the abusers as being um, similar in quality because of the pathological aspects. But um, what's, what, what I found interesting was that the effect on the survivors seems to create a, a quality in which we're all thinking the same way, doing the same things, uh, you, you know, if, you know, saying the exact same things about what happened to us almost word for word. And so, it, in other words, it's creating something in us that, um, you, know, you know, we may come into the relationship with different backgrounds and different things about us that have some play some sort of role in what happened. But it seems to create something in us that wasn't there before. And so, I, you know, I went through and the book is divided up into these five sections, but it's um, sort of like the stages of understanding what is happening to you so that that awareness and understanding can bring you closer to um, getting out of the manipulative aspects of the relationship by fighting back psychologically. And that, so it has to start with awareness and then what are these um, things that happen? So in the, the, the parts of the book are divided into five major questions in a sequence that it appears that um, the, the, the survey respondents that a lot of us seem to go through as we're trying to leave, you know, and the first one, and you brought it up is what happened? Something's wrong with my partner. Some, something happened. I don't understand it. And, it. and it brings us to this awareness. The relationship is not necessarily what we thought it was, or we may have a hard time believing or understanding it. And first we may even justify, you know, what happened or deny what happened. But as thing, as the relationship continues and these things move on, then, the, then we begin asking, you know, is my partner, you know, the good one or the bad one? You know, who, who is my partner really? And, uh, you know, some of the research indicates that at that point, we begin to relate to our partners in two different ways as well. So while they're relating to us in different ways, we are also relating to them in different ways, which creates a different, um, sort of a different self in a way. Um, you know, and that's, you know, when we get to the third question in the book, which is why can't I just leave, then it, it's, that's when we go into this this new person, this new identity that's developed. Um, the book talks about other high control situations um, that people might get into or find themselves in that are very similar to these types of relationships. For example, um, cults, prisoners of war, um, sex trafficking situations, uh, and what, yeah, and so the the impact on them seems to be that this same thing happens. There's another identity or self that begins to relate to the partner to survive. It's a survival mechanism. But what that ends up doing to us is um, making it very very difficult to leave the um, relationship without some connection to that past um, person who we are in some way. So 
um, where, you know, in the, the, the final questions, where did I go? Uh, meaning who, who am I now? What, what happened to the person that I was before the relationship, which is, you know, getting to that point of trying to reconnect with that person. And then finally, the last question um, that how do, how do I leave? How do I get out of here? How do I deal with all the questions? Like, what's my life going to be like after my partner, uh, after I, after the relationship's over, who, you know, not understanding who, who you're going to be next. Um, because it's almost like the partner, the pathological partner strips out part of who we are and then sort of pours themselves into that space. Mm -hmm. So when we tr start to try to rip that out, what, you know, what's left, we don't know, it's, it's scary. And so we start thinking about what to, what to do in that, in that situation. Thank you. So there's, there's like a, a there's like a trauma bonding. There's like a Munchausen, uh, not Munchausen, what is it? Stockholm syndrome um, that, that just keeps us bonded to them. And mm -hmm. it is, it's, a, it's a strange phenomenon. People don't understand it. So this book is going to help them understand so that they can sort of move past it and get to the next part where they have to find themselves again. And, and that's one of the things that people don't realize about these types of relationships is well why do you why do you why'd you lose yourself people your friends are like what do you mean you lost yourself you don't know who you are anymore it's it's because they've slowly sucked out I, I use the dementor from Harry Potter just sucking out your soul right that's what it feels like to so many people and you know we talked about in the beginning being isolated from your your friends and your family um, also your passions you know what you used to like to do well now you're doing what they like to do and you know, whatever you had as a passion before is on the sidelines. So you forgot who you were. And so getting back to who that person is, is the key to understanding how to move on and how to start again. So if you were to tell people the most valuable thing that you think, oh my God, this is why you want this book. What would you say? I think I, you know, as I've said before, there are so many great resources that are out there that help me move forward. And there are so many, um, they're, they're, they're continuing to be developed all the time. Um, what I tried to do in this book, again, is look at the dynamic to sort of fill in that gap of what is this thing that my partner took away from me that it just, that allowed me to just, or it enabled me to stay in this situation when I didn't want to. And so it's written specifically for people who are still in their relationships right now. Um, and it's addressed to them. Um, so, you know, using the, using you and I, as if we're having a conversation. So I try sort of try to combine, here's some research that you may not have seen before. How does it feel to you? How does this seem to you when you read it? Versus, you know, having, like I said, having a conversation with someone who's been there, being able to read about other people's situations. You know, I told a little my story, but there's also a lot of um, quotes in there from the survivors who filled out the survey. So just trying to make it a well-rounded book to fill in that gap of understanding um, so that the awareness of what's happening can help lead someone out of it. And even in recovery, understanding what happened and trying to uh, take, you know, get the partner out of, you know, your soul or, you, you know, your, your spirit, or, you know, and, and replace it with the person that you, not necessarily that you used to be because you've been through a new experience, but that bringing back, bringing it back around to 
you as someone who, who's standing on their own without your partner, regardless of what your partner said. Exactly. I love it. So, so people who are still in that are looking to get out and are struggling with that is, is where we want the people to tap into this. Because again, you know, once you're gone, you're gone. I loved all of the resources that you have in here, the different people that you've quoted, all the authors on my shelf are in your book as different parts of like, hey, again, that that bring you the awareness, bring you, maybe you didn't know this fact before. So there's so much in this book. I can't wait for people to get it. And I'm totally going to be reading the rest of it this weekend because I love it. Um, but where do they get them? Where, where can they find your book? The book, it will be released on October 19th, which is just a few days away. Um, and then uh, it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, and EPUB versions for those who get um, their books through an ebook, but not necessarily a Kindle through Amazon. Uh, so there's ebooks available, paperbacks, hardbacks, you know, depending on how you like to read or whether, you know, highlight or doing the checklist. Um, uh, it's, I tried to make it available in a variety of different, um, through a variety of different uh, mediums. Perfect. It's, it's going to be great. So I'm holding it up one more time, people. Why can't I leave? And I highly recommend that you get this. And I am so grateful for your time today, Kristen. Thank you for being here. Of course. I'm, th I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Wasn't that a great interview? I just love her. And I can't wait for you to get her book. Um, this is Tracy Malone from NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. If you are looking for support, if you are looking to understand narcissistic abuse, please visit my website. Sign up for my mailing list. Go download my red flag checklist. I've got so many resources on my website, whether you're divorcing, whether it's your mother, your child. If you are looking for answers, then visit my website and I will see you soon. Have a great day, everyone.